Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Um, what day it is, what time it is, and whether you use a calendar or not, it's very important to know the dates and what's important about those things. And of course, um, those of you that have been with us the last few weeks know of my recent struggles with remembering special dates in my family calendar, specifically my wife's birthday. So I've recommitted to being more aware of what time it is and what day it is and where we are in the calendar. In the Hebrew calendar, today is Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. In Greek, it's Pentecost and Pentecost means 50. Today is seven weeks plus one day after Passover, or I'm sorry, after the Feast of Firstfruits. And the purpose of the Feast of Pentecost back in the day for Israel, it was largely based around agriculture. Firstfruits was when they celebrated the first wheat or barley crop, which came up out of the ground. Pentecost was seven weeks later when they came to the Lord and they presented the Lord, here's what we've been working so hard to gather over the last seven weeks. We're going to present to you as an act of worship the fruit of our labor. And so they didn't just bring raw, unprocessed wheat and barley. On Pentecost, they actually would bring two loaves of bread to the priest, bread that had been baked from the crops in the, from the fields they had been working in for seven weeks, and they would, it would be leavened bread. In other words, it's the only festival they had where they were allowed to include a leavening agent or yeast and what they brought to the Lord. And they would bring it to the priest and they would wave it to the north, the south, the east, and the west and present it to the Lord as an offering. So there was a spiritual purpose to Pentecost. It was them thanking God for providing for them these fields and the seeds and the weather and the energy and the know-how to farm the fields. And it was also then saying, God, here's what we've done with what you provided for us. Here are the fruits of our labor. Here is the product of our effort. We're bringing it to you. The practical reason for Pentecost was because at the end of the day, when the sun went down on Pentecost, harvest time was over. Okay, No more harvesting. Now it was time to move into the next season where they waited for the next time to plant seeds to begin. And so that's what Pentecost meant in the Hebrew culture. Now we're not so much an agrarian culture today, but there's still a lot of significance to understanding what Pentecost means for us in the New Testament era. It tells us this is the season that we're living in. I don't have time to unroll this all for you, but I believe we're living in the Pentecost era where God continues to send us out into the field. The sun hasn't set yet, but he's sending us out into the field. And what is our field as believers? We're not all out harvesting wheat and barley. The Bible tells us we're going out into the world. We're harvesting this sounds bad. I don't know. Let me choose a different way. We're out there working in the fields among people. And what we desire to harvest and present to the Lord is not something out of our oven, 
But we want to say, Lord, you've given me this many days on earth, this much time and ability, these many relationships, and I present to you a harvest of people who I've told about Jesus. And here they are, and Pentecost is a day for us to understand that we are still working in the harvest. We are still presenting to the Lord an offering that is both yeast, in other words, there's flesh and sin, but it's also people that have been come together with that which is perfect from the Lord. There's a human and a spiritual component to what we're offering to him, and the sun has not yet gone down on the day of Pentecost. God is still supplying us with power to reach people. That's your primary assignment if you're a Christian. It's not to be materially wealthy. It's not to be debt-free. It's not to have a, a, an awesome, successful job. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not even to make a lot of friends. Those things may or may not be part of God's plan for your life. I'm not sure. But the one primary assignment that you and I will stand before the Lord someday is, did you tell others about me? What did you do with the one life that I gave you? Did you truly go into your world and tell people about what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced with Jesus? Did you give others an opportunity to say yes or no to a relationship with Jesus? That's his primary assignment for all of his followers. So what does Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in the year 30 AD, what does that have to do with Pentecost today in 2021. Let me just give you a quick timeline. I'm going to read some scripture for you. You can follow along. Let's look at 53 days. Everybody say 53. 53 days prior to Pentecost, Jesus has a private, closed door, intimate conversation that's recorded by the gospel writer John. In chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of his gospel, it is the longest record we have of any one of Jesus' conversations. 53 days prior to Pentecost. And in this conversation, which we've taught about for now almost a month, he makes a series of predictions and promises. And I won't go back and review all of those today. You can catch up on our website or on YouTube or wherever you go to get our podcast, you can catch up. But the substance of what he's saying is, I'm about to leave you and go back to my Father in heaven. But I'm not disbanding you. My assignment is about to be complete, but your assignment is about to begin. And he gets more specific about what his assignment is and what their assignment is. And the question in their mind, they can't compute. The disciples cannot compute this. But one of the promises Jesus makes to them 53 days prior to Pentecost is this, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you. Prepositions are important when you're studying the Holy Spirit. He says, with you now and later will be, do you see that next word? What's the next word? What's the next preposition? Later will be in you. You understand there's a difference between with and in? Do you understand those two little words are different? You can be with, he says, the Holy Spirit's with you now. Later he will be 
in you. This is a big promise he makes. Jesus promises, promises to ask his father to send another just like him to be in the disciples. His purpose is to quiet their anxiety about the fact that the person they leaned on and depended on for the last three and a half years to be their everything, he's trying to quiet their anxiety because they realize their everything, their everyone, their everybody just told them he's about to leave them. But yet his expectation is that they will continue the work of the kingdom. And they're thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? And Jesus doesn't give them the how first. He gives them the who first. He says, I will send you another just like me. And everything Jesus was to his twelve the Holy Spirit will be and is to all of Jesus' disciples with the exception that the Holy Spirit goes in us. Jesus understood that if he was only limited to going with us, he could be with one of us or a group of us at a time. He couldn't be in Jerusalem and also in Judea. He couldn't be in Judea and also in Samaria. He couldn't be in Samaria and simultaneously to the ends of the earth. And so he says, I will send you another just like me. And he promises to send this to them. And the time stamp on that promise is 53 days prior to Pentecost. Let's move forward another three or four days to 40-ish, 40-ish days prior to Pentecost. It's somewhere between 40, 49, 50. I wish I could unpack all of this for you and give you this specific timestamp, but understand this is probably about six to seven weeks prior to Pentecost. We get that Sunday evening in one gospel and then in another gospel, the way that he recounts it, you can make an argument that there might be a one-day variance between these two stories, okay? But that's really inconsequential. We just need to know it happens at least six or seven weeks prior to Pentecost. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. And see, there's this theme. The next time we see these guys talking with Jesus, they're behind locked doors again. Something happened, though, between these two conversations. Jesus was arrested, crucified, died, buried, rose again appeared to several people, word starting to get back to the disciples that the body is not in the tomb anymore, and here's where we find them. That Sunday evening, they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Next conversation. Again, private conversation, locked doors, closed to the public. The disciples are afraid with good reason. They saw their master, their leader, their rabbi, their Lord, crucified in Jerusalem, mobs raising up against Jesus. They knew they were probably next. In fact, Jesus tipped them off in their previous conversation. He says, someday people are going to kill you thinking they're doing a good thing. So with all these things in their mind, they're behind locked doors. But Jesus wanted to have a conversation, only now he makes an entrance a little bit different than what they had seen before. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. How did he get there? You see the detail? They're behind locked doors. Then Jesus, what's the word? He was standing there among them. You know the original word for standing there? Appeared. He literally appeared out of nowhere. And is standing among them. 
peace be with you, he said. He, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Let me pause here real quick. Now he's saying, all right, you band of strong, brave, courageous Bible scholars with perfect character and boldness and bravery, just like God sent me, I'm sending you. Unbolt the doors, open the windows, out with you. (laughs) That's not the character makeup of the people in that room. He's talking to people who read their story. They have weak faith. They have character flaws. They have a history of public failure. They have very little Bible understanding. They're filled with skepticism and a strong desire to hide. And he looks at these 11 people as they're in a locked room, scared to death of the people they're supposed to reach, and says, I'm sending you. Here's what he's saying. My hope for the world is that they will hear about me through you. You know his hope for the world that Baltimore hears about Jesus? Look around you. These are his candidates. This is his plan. Right? Yeah. And you're thinking like, I'd like to have a second opinion. You know, I would like a moment for rebuttal, Lord. And the question they had that I have is how? How are you going to use those people to transform the world? How are you going to use those people to testify, to give testimony? They're afraid to even be seen in public. Now you want them to speak in public? But aren't you thankful that it can, the story continues? Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an incredibly important story. We're 40 days, probably, actually, if I redid my notes, I would have, I would have written 49 or 50 days. Because I believe this happened either on resurrection, on the, on the Sunday evening of his resurrection, just like it says, or according to Luke 24, it might have happened, uh, it might have happened on that Monday, depending on how you order the week. This many days prior to Pentecost, that group received the Holy Spirit. This is their moment of conversion. Way back in John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus tells one of the Pharisees, in order to get into heaven, you have to have two births. You have to be, have a physical birth, and you have to have a spiritual birth. The physical birth comes first. I hope this is not rocket science. Everybody in this room has experienced a physical birth. You were born physically. You you have life because you were born. But he also says in order to get into heaven, you have to be born again spiritually. And in this beautiful picture, we see what happens the moment of confession and conversion. We receive 
the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. This is reinforced in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says, when you unite yourself with the Lord in salvation, you are one with him in spirit. One with, in the Greek, means to fuse two unlike things together so that they become one. I want you to know that at the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God came and took up residence inside of you. You are not two-thirds converted. You are not deficient. You're not missing out on any part of who he is. You receive the Holy Spirit. The moment we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're not two-thirds complete. 50 days, 49 days prior to Pentecost, this group in John 20, 22, this group of apostles received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus said that they would receive? In fact, if you read the same account in Luke, Luke says that Jesus said this, and now I send the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, and later I send the Holy Spirit. He says, and now I send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now, Jesus is saying a mouthful here. Listen to what he's saying. Now I send you the Holy Spirit, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're sending him now, and I'm to wait for him to come? Yes. So is he here, or is he coming later? Yes. Well, that does it. First of all, he's infinite. He's saying, he is here, I'm breathing on you, receive him, and then wait for him to bring something that he will fill you with and pour. The who is here, he's bringing you a what later on. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. But wait in Jerusalem, because he will bring you power when he comes upon you. My body is how, what percent water? 90%-ish. You know there's a difference between the water within you, the water around you, and the water upon you. They're all different. You can experience them somewhat independently of the other, but you can also experience them at the same time, and it doesn't make your mind short out your ear. Why can't the Holy Spirit be infinite enough for us to accept and understand that he can be within you and upon you, and above you, and around you, all at the same time. If God can create water that can do that, that we can accept. If God, there's air in your lungs, there's air around you, there's air upon you. If we can accept that, can we have a mind big enough to accept the infinite God who created those things? Maybe in some way to be an autobiographical pointer to who he really is. The moment you come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're not two-thirds complete. But let's fast forward the story just a little bit. Now, 10 days prior to Pentecost. We started at 53. We went to 50. 10 days prior to Pentecost, Jesus, in his final conversation with the disciples before he ascends to heaven, makes another prediction. Another prediction. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The disciples do not know this is their last conversation. They don't know. They know at some point... Things are coming to an end. Well, pastor, what happened? You skipped from 
50 days prior to Pentecost, 10 days. There's a 40-day window of time here you haven't told us anything about. What was going on? Well, we don't have a whole lot of information about that time. We do have a few sentences. We have a few sentences in Acts. Jesus spent 40 days giving further instruction to his disciples, making appearances occasionally, one time to up to 500 people simultaneously. He thoroughly proved his resurrection. He talked about the kingdom of God and the spirit of God, and he ate with them. That's what we know he did. Up until 10 days prior to Pentecost, he makes another prediction about another Holy Spirit encounter on the horizon for his disciples. Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, do you see the preposition here is different? Comes upon you. Do you understand that within and upon are two different prepositions? There's a difference between the water within me and the water upon me. There's a difference between air within me and air. He's talking about a different but related experience between what they received when he breathed on them, he didn't say receive power. What he said, he said receive him. Now he's saying you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be, not you will become, not you get to be. You will be, you shall be. It's the infinitive tense. You will be my witnesses telling people everywhere. In other words, he's saying after this experience or as a result of this experience, you won't go into training. You will automatically become and just start to be witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you've been in a Pentecostal church any amount of time, you've probably been through this verse a bunch. Jesus predicts a specific upcoming experience he intends for his disciples. This experience between his disciples and the Holy Spirit will be different in form, function, and result than what they experienced with the Holy Spirit at salvation. They already had the Holy Spirit within them. They already had him. But in, in Acts 1, Jesus describes a distinct experience when the Holy Spirit will come upon them. The purpose will be for the disciples to receive power, and the results will be that they'll be emboldened as his witnesses for the purpose of telling people with their words, telling, telling, verbal, people everywhere about Jesus. How to get this right. Do you understand what a witness is? We don't typically first think about evangelism. We typically first think about the courtroom. You know what a witness is, the very definition? Somebody who has seen something, somebody who has heard something, or someone who experienced something tells other people about what they heard, they saw, or they experienced. That's what makes a credible witness. You're not going to last long in a courtroom under cross-examination from a lawyer if you're up there lying. If you say you saw something you didn't see. If you heard, some, if you heard nothing, saw nothing, experienced nothing, you're a witness to nothing. Are you with me? Are you with me? Am I clear? How can you be a witness for Jesus if you've never heard, seen, or experienced anything from heaven? How are you going to go out and tell people about the confidence you have with Christ? And in your own life, you say, I, I don't, I've never experienced 
his love. I've never experienced his power. I've never experienced his forgiveness. I've not seen God do anything in my life. I've not heard of the goodness of God. If you have nothing that you've seen, nothing that you've heard, nothing that you've experienced, you have nothing to tell. Jesus is supplying for them power to be his witnesses. Power to say, here is what I've seen. Here is what I've heard. Here is what I've experienced. Let me tell you about this. Jesus wants to do a major move of his spirit in this field in Baltimore, in Hartford County, in the surrounding areas. Jesus wants to do this. That's always been true. This is not rocket science. And the people he wants to use are sitting in this room. You're the candidates. It's not somebody else. It's you. How is he going to do it? How are you? What's going to change about your life between today and next Sunday that's going to result in more boldness, more conversations, more confidence, more passion, more urgency to tell everybody around you about Jesus? The only thing that will change it for you is the only thing that changes it for them. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. That's it. It's not more Bible teaching. It's not more TED Talks. It's not more motivation. It is you encountering and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit upon you to give you the courage to talk to other people using your own words about what you've seen and experienced and heard from the Lord in your own life. That's the differentiator. And this is what he says they were to wait for. i got to hurry to close. On the day of Pentecost, Now we're up to today. We started 53 days, went to 50, went to 10. Now, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Let me just give you a few. You understand there's 30 sermons in there and probably some table discussion and some debate and everything else. I'm going to try and chase the biggest rabbits today, if that makes any sense to you. I'm going to try and chase the biggest rabbits here. Here's the thing that I have to draw out this morning. The same people who in John 20, 22 received the Holy Spirit are also being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4. These two distinct experiences are separated by a period of seven weeks. They received, they received everything God intended for them to receive of the Holy Spirit living in them in John 20.22, 20, and yet there was more for them to experience the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4. And I got news for you. If you keep reading through Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 4.31, the same group of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4 asked God, God, we want more from you. Will you come and fill us again? And he shook the room when they were, and it says they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the Greek, it says, be being filled. It's this weird tense we don't use much here. He's saying the life of a believer is of constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit being filled and filled and filled and filled and filled, that there is always room for us to come to the Lord and say, will you just fill me again? Will you just pour yourself on on for me? I don't want what you did two months ago. I want something fresh for me for today. I've been working in the field, and it's hard work. I'm going through a season where it feels a little dry and a little fresh. I'm not getting, I just, will you just pour some more power onto me? Holy Spirit, will you come? 
Will you just come and wash over me again so that I can be filled with your courage, with your boldness? Lord, I need a fresh experience to tell people about. God, I don't want to be dry. I don't want to be bland. And I recognize that. And will you come? This church, they didn't have all the theology that we have today. They didn't have the whole copy of the Bible. All they had was the last instructions of Jesus and usually one instruction at a time to just wait in Jerusalem. They didn't know if they were waiting for the day of Pentecost. They didn't know if it was going to be 11 days, 7 days, 6 days. I don't know. We don't even know exactly what they were doing while they were there. We know they spent time worshiping in the temple and it says they stood up. When they were here in the upper room, we don't know if they were in a Bible study, if they were doing laundry, if they were having a conversation, if they were sitting. We don't know because it's not important. He's not trying to give us a formula here. He's just saying this experience with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, God says it's for you, it's to help you, it's to equip you, it will change you, it's a gift, just wait for it. And this about 120 people They really took him seriously. They said, well, Jesus said it's for us. We don't know exactly what it's like. To be fair, if you go way back to to read all the instructions Jesus gave them before Pentecost, he says nothing about languages. He says nothing about tongues. He doesn't say, listen, for the next 2,000 years, people are going to debate about what happens to you. And I need to show you all the theology on the front end, whether it was really 12 of you or 120 of you, whether it's for one time or all times, whether the language will always be in a language that's heard by whether tongues is for for the people hearing or whether it's for God, I'm going to roll this all, whether it's going to die out with you and then it won't be necessary. He didn't roll that all out. He just said, wait for me to give you power from the Holy Spirit. How will we know? Well, you'll know. They knew, obviously, at the end of receiving whatever it was that they received. They hear the sound like a rushing mighty wind. They see fire that came down, quasi-fire. It wasn't actually fire. It It didn't burn things up. It doesn't look like it gave off heat. But it looked like fire, it came down, and it separated, and, you know, one little tongue of fire sat upon, one little flame of fire sat, you know, upon everybody's head that was there. Now, the Jews would have thought, well, this is kind of similar to Sinai when God's, you know, when God's fire, you know, indicated his presence, and, you know, usually only hovered over the temple. But he's showing us now that, that we're all temples. We're all temples. We're all, we all can be carriers of God's presence. And then they go out somehow. There's at least 16 different dialects represented in the people who come rushing. Now, the best indication we have is that they're all Jews, so they all would have shared a mother tongue, but because of the diaspora and because of them spreading out in different places, they would have been traveling to Jerusalem, probably stayed there since Passover. So you have people who Hebrew wasn't their first language, but they might have some familiarity with it, but whatever their local dialect was wherever they lived is what they were most familiar with. And you have this unique phenomenon we see nowhere else in Scripture and that the tongues, the languages, better translation, that God supernaturally gave the 120, we know they didn't learn it, they didn't study it, the Holy Spirit provided it to them, they spoke it fluently, spontaneously, and there's at least 16 different dialects going on somehow here because every individual group says we recognize that language We recognize what they're saying in our own words. And the content of it was they were telling about the good things of God. Nowhere else in Scripture do you see God giving tongues to a person to go talk to another person. Not that it hasn't happened throughout history, but this is the only time. Most of the time in Scripture, Paul says God uses the language you receive from the Holy Spirit as a way for you to connect to God. That you don't understand and the hearer doesn't understand. Prophecy is when God connects to us in a language that we understand. Most of the times in Scripture... The tongues through the Holy Spirit are for a believer to speak and connect to God in the form of prayer, intercession, or worship. 
That's why Paul says it's preferable in church to not start with a language no one else in the church understands. Paul says there's tongues of men and tongues of angels. There's language that people understand, and there's language that only heaven understands. He said, when you're in church, you know, use a language that people understand. That's primary. That's preferable. But we get so hung up and twisted up on these things. All I need you to see is that these same people are on a journey with the Holy Spirit. And up to this point, they're still in an upper room. But after this, the Bible says Peter stepped forward. There's thousands of people in the street now. Thousands. And you see something, Peter stepped forward. Now, when you think about Peter up to this point in his life, he's not usually the guy you think about stepping forward. You know him for his failures. He's the guy who hopped out of the boat and sank. He's the guy on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says Peter sees what's going on. And Peter, not knowing what he should say, says... He's the guy who says, I'll go with you to death. All these other losers won't make it, but I will follow you to death. And Jesus says, you won't even make it through the night. And he fails in spectacular fashion. He's the guy who always stepped up to the plate and struck out. And yet, now, the Bible says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, steps forward and just brings, brings the fire in a message, Right? And what is the result? People who hear his message say, what do we have to do to be saved? Every pastor in the world would love to be asked that question. That means you've really hit the mark. You're preaching and you're preaching and you're preaching. People say, enough, what do we have to do to receive what you're talking about? It's happened to me once in 22 years of preaching. He gets done, and you know how many people are converted that day? 3,000 How many converts did Jesus produce after three and a half years? 120? Peter, one sermon after this experience with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 converts? No one conversion is more or less spectacular than another. Peter is not superior to Jesus in any way. You can't top what Jesus did. But yet Jesus said, you will do even greater things than what you've seen me do. He wasn't talking about quality. He was talking about quantity. And in one afternoon, that promise already came true. That same Holy Spirit is available to you right now here today. Same, same thing. Do you believe it's for you? Do you think it's beneficial for you? Is it a gift for you? Would it be helpful to you to connect to God in a more powerful way? Would it be helpful to you to have more courage and boldness to overcome some of your anxieties and fears? Would it help to, would would that be, you have to be convinced that it's for you. Trust me, if you're not convinced that that he is for you and that this experience is for you and you don't want anything to do with this, trust me, God will not force it on you. Keep scouring the scriptures until he makes it clear. But the same assignment is here for us. God is sending you he's sending you he's sending you out he sends mike into the gym every week he sends alan into honda to fix my cars every week because i break one a lot right he sends john to work with rocket scientists who have forgotten more things than i'll ever know they're that smart right he sends you He sends Pastor Zach to the office to lead his pastor to Jesus. He sends people. He sends you 
Some of you he's sending into a home where not everybody who lives under your roof knows Jesus like you do. He's going to send you someplace to eat lunch today where you might get in a conversation with somebody. The differentiator between witnessing on my own strength, under my own intellect, with my own courage, and this type of experience is just the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. To anybody who knows the Lord is their Savior, who wants it, who, asks, who has enough faith to believe that it's for them. Suba, will you come? I just, as Suba and I were talking this week, and she just shared with me. I just wanted her to just share a minute or two about an experience she had um, early on when she got saved um, with the Holy Spirit. I thought maybe having just a real-life example of that would be great for you. And uh, when she's done, I'll have the worship team come, and we're going to just seek the Lord together. But Suba, would you just share a little bit of what you shared with me earlier this week? I, um, I come from a Hindu background, and uh, I was saved on a Sunday morning. And uh, two days after that, uh, it was a Wednesday night that I went to church to attend a church service, very similar to this. Um, and I was uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I began speaking in other tongues. Um, and also, I don't remember falling on the floor, but I know that I was on the floor for a while. Um, I'll tell you what happened around me, and then I'll tell you what happened inside of me. And I'll also tell you what has happened, um, you know, in me since then. Um, so it was a pastor in a church service, much like this, um, who was uh, giving a message uh, from the book of Acts and others. And, uh, you know, explained, um, you know, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And as a brand new believer, just two days old in the Lord, I didn't uh, quite understand everything that he was saying. Uh, but I heard um, all the things that he said. And then right after that, the, he gave an invitation, um, an altar call, really, uh, for anybody, um, you know, who, who wanted to receive this gift to come forward. And as a brand new believer, I um, saw other people going forward, and it was very encouraging. Um, and so I went forward because um, this pastor said that the Holy, the Holy Spirit has a gift for me. Um, and so I went forward, and, uh, you know, I went forward, and he, there was very uh, clear step-by-step -step instructions on what to do. It was simple, it was encouraging, and it was clear. Um, you know, so that even a brand new believer like myself could follow it. Um, and so I was there and he said, um, you know, close your eyes, open your hands and, uh, you know, just start worshiping and, and just, uh, you know, and he, he said a lot of encouraging things. Uh, don't be afraid of this, you know, just just say yes to God. And, and it was very encouraging. And so he was just leading from the platform and I was there. Um, and uh, at some point I became more aware of what the Holy Spirit was doing in my heart. And so I kind of tuned him out, and I just uh, was at the altar with my hands open, and I uh, said a prayerful, uh, a heartfelt prayer, and I said, uh, Lord, I want to use my tongue uh, to praise you. That, that's all I said. I said it long enough to know that I was saying it in a heartful manner. That was my heartful prayer, and once I kind of recognized it, um, I started speaking in tongues right then and there, and um, then I don't remember falling on the floor, but I was on the floor, um, and so what is so beautiful about this is that I went forward uh, thinking that I'm going to receive a gift from the Holy Spirit, and what I encountered is the giver of, the, of this gift, you know, um, 
um, oh man, and it was so powerful. And uh, what I was experiencing on that floor that day, I will never forget it. It has changed my life forever. It has been 10 years since I have been saved, but I will never forget uh, that encounter, that personal experience that I had with the Lord. And what I was experiencing was the same Holy Spirit that was in my room as I was reading the, the, the Bible as a Hindu, not even in the relationship with God, but I was experiencing that same spirit, just that in on this Sunday morning, it was more pronounced, it was amplified, and it was also a good teaching because I was able to connect what I was experiencing and recognize that this is who the Holy Spirit is, and it was such an introduction, and after that experience, I got up and, and continued to just, um, you know, um, speak in tongues, uh, but, you know, the more I did that, I got more comfortable, but what really happened was that I started re developing a relationship with uh, the Holy Spirit, who is really, uh, you know, the f uh, Jesus Christ in flesh, and so I started developing a relationship, and he started teaching me how to recognize his presence, how to be aware of him, uh, how he speaks, and how he moves, and he started teaching me things that uh, that I started receiving and, and have been growing in the Lord ever since that day. And that is what the Holy Spirit has done in my life. And I have so much faith that you can have the same experience today, the, the way that I did 10 years ago, and that it will not just be a one-time um, experience, but that it will be a lifetime of us dedicating ourselves to understanding and falling in love with Jesus all over again. Keith and team, can you guys come quickly? Uh, I've been praying for this day for weeks, and uh, my prayer this morning, because I was just was not feeling physically well, and uh, I just said, Lord, just don't let me get in the way of what it is that you want to do this morning. Don't let me say anything that's going to be a stumbling block to anybody. Don't let me push something out there that's going to be so confusing or out of order that um, that would get in the way of what he wants to do. I mean, we're in one of two categories. We're, we're people who know that we've not experienced the power that those 120 experienced on that day of Pentecost. We know that we haven't experienced that. We're not living in that. It's, we don't recognize that measure of boldness power. Or we would say, you know, I, I believe that I, and I know that I have and I do experience that in Christ. And regardless of where you are, the invitation from God today is, would you like more? from me for you to be everything I've if if you would like that it is here for you it's a gift I have to give I have more power for you I have fresh fresh for you today if you're willing and able will you stand with me here's what we're going to do do something a little different this morning if you believe God is drawing you towards a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit today and you believe that that's for you, whatever that looks like, whether this is an Acts 4 experience for you where you say, you know, I've had many experiences, but I'm not looking to duplicate or replicate somebody else's experience. I'm not looking to recreate the upper room. I want to perpetuate what this promise is that the Father has given. I would benefit from a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit today from my life and from my mission. 
We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.